All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. I got a cold, man. I got a fucking cold. It was weird because I was holding it off. I swear to God, I was holding it off the entire time that I was in uh, Portland. Even when I was talking to you last from my uh, hotel room in Portland, Oregon, I felt the nag of it. I felt the nag of it starting like Thursday. I don't I, you know, people have this, it, it always annoys me when you're like, I got a cold. They're like, oh, you'll be okay tomorrow. It's like, no, when I get a cold, I get a fucking cold. Like it's three or four days coming, then three or four days in me, kind of like, you know, I'm fucked up. And then a few days on the way out. So it's at least a 10-day ride. And I don't know why it annoys me. I, I, you know, I think that people get colds differently than me, or maybe their tolerance is different than me, or they get the different cold than me. But when I get one and it locks in, I'm in for the arc of it. And uh, I'm in it right now. And you kind of just hope it doesn't get worse. All right, so today on the show, Jeanette McCurdy is here. Uh, she's a former actor. From, uh, you know, you you knew her. She was on two popular Nickelodeon kids series, iCarly and Sam and Cat. Last year, she released her memoir, which explained why she stopped acting. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. I read it. And I don't always do that for guests, you know, because sometimes I just rather talk than sort of be led into something by knowing their story too well. But I wanted to get a sense of this woman because I was too old for iCarly. I was too old for Sam and Cat. And I read this book and I could not stop reading it. It's a heavy book, but rarely have I seen the heaviness countered so nicely with comedy. I mean, this book is about a horrendously dysfunctional family. It's a horrendous, and it's not, it's not the standard fare dysfunction. And it's a horrendously fraught and traumatic mother-daughter relationship and and then you know throw show business into that i found it completely compelling to the point where i was like oh my god is there you know it was kind of relentless but uh you know she does come out the other side she did come on this show and she is kind of i i believe she's got a uh a podcast that launches this week it's called hard feelings with Jeanette McCurdy. Uh, you can get that wherever you get podcasts. But I'll tell you, honestly, and a lot of you guys know this, eating disorders, food issues, body dysmorphia, I connect with it. Most of you who have listened to this show for years know this about me. I, I am a man with uh, fairly profound uh, eating, food issues, body issues. I, I, I was made that way by my mother, she invented it. Uh, I believe to this day that these are the, the deepest, most difficult issues to really conquer or, or get into a place where I can handle them. They do guide or inform or at least annoy me every day of my waking life because I had a mother was consumed by the idea of the perfect body or maintaining a weight or being on a diet. Uh, there have been different points in my life 
where my mother said, I, I don't think I could have loved you if you were fat. But the point was, I'd been through periods of my life where when I wanted to impress my mother, I'd get emaciated. But the symptoms of it now is that, and I'm 60 years old, and I've gone to, I've had some therapy around this. You know, I've gone to uh, certain food programs, but you know, you're not that welcome. Well, you are, but you feel bad when you go to Weight Watchers if you're only like three pounds overweight. But for me, it was all, I guess, about control, but I guess, I guess it's about sort of sadly about, you know, comfort in my own fucking body. I mean, I, you know, somehow or another, I managed to not get obsessed with the scale anymore over time. But there's not a day that goes by where I don't uh, experience food shame or compulsive eating because of aggravation or anger or, or feelings or just the joy of shoving shit into my mouth. A day doesn't go by where I don't feel bad for eating something. A day doesn't go by where I don't feel uncomfortable in my body. Uh, now I've become sort of compulsive about exercise. So like even today, I had lunch. I had some uh, vegetarian dumplings and a mound of greens. But because of the sickness, I've been able to exercise in a few days. And I'm like, you know, I'm crawling out of my skin. The other manifestations of this are not being able to sort of be intimate or, or be touched by other people. Like if somebody is, you know, holding me, uh, like even Kit, like if it's like if she's got her hand on my stomach or on my side, like I want to crawl out of my fucking skin. And I've learned to just sit in it and sit with it, but it's still pretty awful because eventually you get embarrassed about these things. But, and I imagine some of you are listening to this and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe you should get help for this. You know, look, I've gotten help for this. But also, all I can do is self-talk and live with it and understand that, you know, I'm not defined by whatever I think my weight is implying or whatever I think my, my body looks like. But, you know, it's a hard sell to my brain for that. If I feel overweight or I am overweight, man, I minds will be invisible. I minds will be a fucking ghost in my mind. It's fucking crazy. And look, I can fake it until I make it, but I don't know if I'm making it. So... Needless to say, Jeanette and I entered this conversation running. Like, I didn't find it necessary to go through her whole story because I had read it, but I did find it, you know, engaging to talk about the issues we shared. And I think, you know, there's, there's no need to give context to this. You know, I refer to her grandmother. I refer to her mother. I refer to her father. I refer to different parts of the book. But I do suggest, especially if this issue, even if it isn't, uh, is something that resonates with you to to read about this struggle because she does it very uh, in, in a funny way, but it's very deep and very dark. But it was it was it was heavy for me. So look, folks, I'm in Boston at the TD Garden for Comics Come Home on Saturday, November fourth, Denver, Colorado. I'll be at the Comedy Works South for four shows, November seventeenth and eighteenth, and Los Angeles. I'm at Dynasty Typewriter on December first, thirteenth, and twenty eighth. I'm at the Elysian on December 6th, 15th, and 22nd. Uh, and Largo, again, on December 12th and January 9th. You can go to wtfpod.com slash tour for tickets. Oh, before we move into the conversation, it is interesting what people respond to when I talk. Uh, like, for instance... I'd gotten annoyed uh, when I hear people, you know, kind of make dismissive comments, you know, about people who wear masks outdoors or in public or whatever, even now. 
And I just talked about it, it as a, a reality. And it's, and it's like you don't judge people for wearing certain jackets or shoes or, or even, you know, certain good luck charms, even if that makes them feel safer or better. Who gives a shit if people wear a mask? Just let people be. Just let people be. Not everything is some loaded culture war shit show. Doesn't fucking matter. If it doesn't affect you, shut up. And most of it doesn't affect the people that blather on and bully and start shit and judge and diminish people. Just shut up. It's not, it's got nothing to do with you. Let people be. And that was sort of my premise, but then, you know, I got some interesting emails. Uh, like this one from Daniel. If you don't mind some clarification, though, wearing a mask in 2023 isn't just about feeling safe or protected. As a heart transplant recipient since 2018, I will have to continue my regiment of immunosuppressants to prevent rejection every day for the rest of my life. So with COVID still in existence and quite contagious these days, it's a physical necessity for me and many others like me, people who have gone through chemo, for example, may be more susceptible to disease and illness than the general population. And if we get COVID, thankfully I still haven't, do a lot more damage than your average cold or flu. Thanks for sticking up for us, though, against the bullies and assholes. I just wanted to get the word out that for some of us, masks are still a pain in the ass necessity. Yeah. How about a little empathy? Leave people alone. Let them be. Here's another one from Don. Quick note that sometimes people need to wear a face mask due to illness. Yes. I say this from experience. I got hit with leukemia this year. I'm much better after chemo, but at times my blood number for immunity measurement gets too low. Among the things I need to do until the number recovers is wear a face mask. My body can't fight many infections when immunity is low. Yes. Yes. And here's a letter that always see this, this position on it. Now it's the land of social responsibility and it's your choice. But this position on it is something the dumb shits Never even think of. This is from uh, A.E., Andrew. Like you, during COVID, I remembered that Asian populations in big cities have been wearing masks for years. This awakened in me a realization that I could practically and healthfully wear a mask in my very dense car-centered urban environment here in suburban D.C. where I have to walk by and wait for the bus near hundreds of cars. My brain knows it's a terrible air pollution, better than the old days, but still. So I've started wearing a mask outside, waiting for the bus to protect myself from particulate matter that comes from air pollution. Yeah, let that guy be. Let him be. And then there was another another one that said, uh, in, in Asia, uh, most of it is out of respect for other people. If you have a fucking cold like I do, and I wore a mask on the airplane, God forbid you think of others, Right? Even now, no mandates, no expectation. Let people be. Hey, why do you cover your mouth when you cough? Let them be. Jesus Christ. All right, so listen. Jeanette McCurdy is here. The nationwide bestseller, I'm Glad My Mom Died, is available everywhere, and I loved it. I read it before I talked to her. She just launched her new podcast this week. It's called Hard Feelings with Jeanette McCurdy. And you can get it wherever you get podcasts. And this is me. It was intense. This is intense. 
This is raw stuff you're about to hear. Me and Jeanette McCurdy. It's different with everybody. Usually I have to kind of, it seems to, like I noticed it happened in the shower for some reason. Like the day of, I'm just like in the shower thinking like, well, how, how's this going to start? Because for me, the way I do it, it's usually, how do I start? Sure. You know, why, what have you been doing? I, I don't think at all. Uh-huh. I really try to um, not think. I think in, in thinking and sort of outlining serves me in some yeah. areas, but really not for what I'm trying to do with my podcast. Um, What's it called again? Hard Feelings. Yeah. But so it's very much, I'll literally be feeling something very, in, very intense. Uh-huh. I'm an intense feeler, and then I'll just go and start recording. And with the, the thought behind it being I'll probably scrap you know, I've already recorded 15. I imagine I'll scrap at least half of them. You so know? What, what's the structure? Is it just you? It's just me. It's just me. Okay. I, I had a podcast for a while where I interviewed guests and I found it brought out a really kind of an outdated people pleaser side of me and uh-huh. wanting to really, I, I wouldn't ask the hard questions that I was even wanting to ask yeah. because I didn't want to offend and I wanted to yeah, tiptoe yeah. and I wanted to be, so it was just not, I think, a fit. I wasn't good at it. And yeah. so I, I, Scrap that one after a while, and then this kind of feels more suited to what my strengths are and what I feel like. Do you I go have from offer. Do you go from like day to day, like you know, this week or today? I was feeling this, or is it all sort of relative to um, the arc of the your story? How does it work? Yeah, it's all uh, very in the moment. So one week I recorded five because yeah. it was just a week where I was having a lot of emotions coming up about various things. And this past week, I didn't record any. Uh-huh. I, I recorded nothing. I've been trying to just kind of relax, and it felt there was nothing that I felt inspired to go uh, <laughs> yeah. record. Well, what's the plan? Once a week, or how are you going to do Once it? Once a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Once a week. And yeah, I wanted to have a few backlogged off the top. Well, like for you, the research I had to do, because like I'm too old for iCarly. Thank so God. I, I'm so glad. So I missed that whole Hallelujah. part of your life. Uh, the bulk of the, the, the sort of professional problem. But I, I did read the whole book. Did you really? I did, yeah. Wow. That's, I, I appreciate it. I definitely have done a lot of interviews where people have not read the book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. No, I read the whole book because, you know, I am, I am definitely on the eating disorder spectrum. Mm. I have that. No kidding. Yeah. In what, is it now or, or always? Always. It, what do you mean? Once it is, it is, right? What's, what, how is it um, coming I mean, up for you? Well, I was, um, brought up by an anorexic mother who, like, not unlike you, but unlike you in a lot of ways, was, you know, her job was maintaining this weight of 119 pounds. So I was introduced, and my body, like, she has said things to me, like, recently, you Mm. know, in terms of looking back on things, she she has said things like, you know, I don't think I could have loved you if you were fat. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, You know, she... She um, was calorie counting, had me calorie counting, like, very young. Yeah. It was sort of the way I knew I could, uh, you know, tr- try to get approval from her. So mm. I, I know that that part of what you're talking about and some of the stuff in your book was, you know, very relevant to me in, in some of the behavior I still have mm. uh, around body image stuff. Do you, are you, do you count calories? Do you, how is... I've gone in and out of it. You know, like okay. there have been different manifestations of it because I've never really been fat, but 
you know, like when I went off to college my freshman year, I just starved myself and got down to like uh, – a very like 165 pounds mm. for me, you know, and it, so I was emaciated. I really thought that uh, my mother would be uh, proud of me. Wow. I don't, I don't think it, it registered that way. You know, <laughs> she probably said you're too skinny. You know how that goes. You can't win. Yeah, that's definitely my gra- what my grandma I couldn't win. She was always commenting one way or the other too too chunky too thin not yeah. eating enough well slow down there but with my mom it was always very much it felt like there was never thin enough it never oh yeah it was always just as thin as i could possibly if if people were concerned for me she seemed thrilled oh really yeah because that mean you look good yeah to her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i i i don't know like the the scale thing i related to like i've gotten away from the scale i definitely have yeah. Uh, a weight where if I go beyond it, uh, I completely seems to uh, diminish my sense of self. Mm. Do you still have a scale? You don't. I do, but I don't do it much. Okay. Like the last time I did it, I'm like, holy shit, that's not that's not bad. But I hadn't been doing it. Okay. In any regular way, I got out of that. Why? Why have the scale? Uh, I don't, to check in sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But not daily. Okay. I mean, you know, pretty progress, not perfection, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I because I've been vegan for eight months, you know, and I didn't eight know. If months. I, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty compulsive with the exercise and stuff. But I look, I've done Weight Watchers when I was barely heavy, and that just became some sort nice. of functioning anorexic nightmare because, you know, you've got these points and your whole day. Becomes about yeah. you know, figuring out which you know zero to one point stuff you can eat, and it's just eating that all day. Oh God! I did the Nutrisystem, which uh-huh. is I think just like a kind of a cheaper, like the poor man's Weight Watchers. I guess it's not as like uh, fancy, but yeah. I I remember having a cinnamon roll that just tasted like absolute cardboard. It was so awful, yeah. but just feeling like oh, I can pretend this is a cinnamon roll, and like yeah. trying to trying to convince myself that it was better than it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, that stuff's awful. Yeah, but I I am not beyond food shame at all. Hmm. You know, I it's not, you know, I just had some leftover pasta and I'm like, uh, it, as soon as I eat almost anything, I'm like, what the fuck? Really? Did I just do? Really? Oh, yeah. The, for, it, it, it honestly feels, I feel past it and I feel like I'm going to regret this someday yeah. if it like, you know, comes back. But I feel <laughs> like I don't... Um, I, I couldn't even tell you what I had for dinner last night. Oh, I went to I went out to eat with a friend, um, and I had Italian food, and it was you know three different kinds of pasta and oh. bread, and you know I, I don't think about food at all anymore. I, I truly don't. I love food. I'll eat anything whenever. Uh-huh. I do happen to be very thin, uh-huh. um, so if at some point my body shifted a lot because of the, uh, you know, I wonder how that would impact things. But I really don't feel like that is that's not anything that I'm currently struggling with. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, but I but I also I feel like that's what people always say with eating disorders. Like, oh, it's always with you. It always haunts you. It always is going to be part of your life. And I definitely don't feel that way. Oh, I do. I mean, I you know I'm sober a long time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, but when it comes down to sort of core issues that I have to live with um, without any you know be aware of, mm-hmm. the food stuff's definitely the deepest. What is the shame? Is there is there uh, body shame? You said body dysmorphia. Yeah, I have body dysmorphia. Yeah. Anything you care to talk about? Any like what is the where? What are the things that are the biggest? Um, I just think like you know if I feel you know you talk about it in the book a bit that you your body feels if you feel chunky yeah 
you know, you're going to look at yourself as chunky. And the thing is, is like the other point you made in the book, it's like no one else is thinking about that. So you go into the world, you know, just feeling like a monster. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and no one gives a fuck. Yeah. No one's looking at you like that. Yeah. But, you know, my, I know that my mother is the first thing she looks at. And she mm. used to pinch my sides mm. and like, you know. So, but my mm. issues are, the, the things I share with you are, are small in, in comparison to the spectrum of, of sort of what you had to deal with. But, but that kind of basing somebody's, you know, your love for them or your acceptance of them mm. or what it implies about yourself in relation to their weight Yep. And, and, it, and it happens at a young age. It's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. I def, I, you know, as I, as I said, too, that I don't feel it anymore, I don't feel it with my body. I still feel very insecure about my skin, my, the skin on my face. I, I, I'm 31. I still break out. I, I've tried so many dermatologists. I've tried so many um, facialists. I've tried every oral, topical um, medicine there is. And as you just said that, it made me think, oh, I do remember my mom being very— very particular about skin, very ridiculing if there was any blemish for me and my brothers. Yeah. And now I'm just tracing that also back to her. Just now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The wow. skin. Yeah. Big breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, it's, it's really been, it's, it's been weighing on me, my skin. And I think, why don't, why do I care? Why can I just not, like, nobody's going, oh my God, let me count your blemishes. But I am. The woman I'm seeing is sort of a Midwestern person who uh, doesn't give a fuck Love about that. food or her weight. Great. And it's like it's hard because I'm like crazy, <laughs> and it's a really not. It's it. it I think it, it, I learn from it, and it and it's not. I'm not trying to control her, mm-hmm. but you do. Yeah, you know, you're sort of like so. What? Because like what I got a lot of from my mother when it was at its most subtle was, uh, do you really need dessert? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't need anything. But it's just like that feeling. Yeah. But she she kind of roots it all in the fact that she was kind of obese as a kid, huh? And and that's what she kind of puts it on. I mean, she used to put a diet half a diet pill in my lunch bag when I was in junior high. Oh my god! Yeah, that kind of stuff. Jeez. Just trying to help. Yeah. Just trying of to course. help. Of course, of course. And chunky is such a great word. I don't hear it much anymore. Yeah, it's not around. No, it right. isn't. We could use it. Yeah, chunky. Chunky's a good chunky. one. Chunky. That's like definitely that generation. My mom's generation was chunky. But this book, man, I mean, I, you know, I'm reading it and it's harrowing and it's awful, but, you know, the humor is all the way through it. But it's interesting that there are some things that are just in the background that are in and of themselves horrendous. <laughs> you know, just the fact that you, you, that you guys had to sleep on the floor <laughs> to accommodate your mother's hoarding is crazy. <laughs> it's like a whole other book. The, the sort of, st- when you're trying to, you're afraid of opening the garage <laughs> and then sort of the reasoning behind your mother's hoarding that, you know, you talk about these broken mugs and then you're able to sort of, there's a, at some point later in the book, have a callback. She breaks one and bags it <laughs> to remember the moment. I mean, the depth of your mother's mental illness was so profound, yet she was so functional. Yeah, it's 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 puzzling uh, in retrospect. It really is. I, I think about this a lot where I imagine in so many settings, people referred to my mom as like, oh, the crazy one, the crazy sure. lady. Yeah. And just obviously I didn't know that as a kid. So me having my mom on a pedestal going, oh, my God, I love her. She's the best. And now, you know, now as an adult going, 
she was the crazy one. She was the one everyone spoke about as being nutso or cuckoo or crazy. She yeah. was that person. Um, you know, it's it's wild. Also, she was very she was very unintentionally funny. Her cadence and her rhythm was hilarious. Yeah, even when she could be just saying abusive or offensive things uh, to me or anyone around her, she was still funny. Yeah, you know. But also, like you know, all throughout the book, y- y- there's moments where you know, towards the end, when you're sort of waiting for some relief, then there's a whole other curveball that uh, you know about your dad. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, tor- you know, towards the very end, you know, there's a little bit of uh, uh, upswing. But I mean, I finished a book, and and uh, my first thought was like, well, is she okay now? <laughs> is, is she going to be okay? It wasn't like glad that she got this out of her system. <laughs> uh, God, I don't know what I, I don't know what I what I expected people's takeaway to be, or if I even really considered that. But I. I feel I feel uh, very okay. I feel very good. I feel, you know, partially informed, to be honest, by the success of the book. Yeah. You know, I I've been thinking about success and how that relates to self worth a lot recently, and I wonder would my self worth be where it is where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling great. If the yeah. book had just yeah. tanked, you know, right. where would I be today? Um, but because of its success, or at least partially because of its success, I feel. Very good. Well, probably less alone because, like, somebody like my my girlfriend and her sister, you know, her mom. Like, it's very helpful to people that have narcissistic or mentally ill parents that have wired them in such a way that you know you're lucky to survive it. Yes, emotionally, mentally, even physically. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of abuse, or I guess I had I had often seen abuse kind of depicted one way where it's like an alcoholic father. He throws the the bottle and yeah. then the mom's crying and then she shelters the kids. And um, I, I think abuse can look uh, – I know abuse can look very different from that. And it was very um, covert and difficult to explore in therapy and unpack and understand. Because it's a lifetime of, of a pattern. Yes, yes, yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was like how you were brought up. Yeah. And it, it wasn't it, – it wasn't physical – and you know you couldn't sort of you, you couldn't point to alcoholism right or or sexual abuse you know exactly but there was definitely you know in you know boundaryless physical engagement yes um with the showers and all you know and and the stuff you talk about in the book in in terms of examinations and whatever the hell she was up to but the you know but I think one of the benefits of writing uh, something this honest, but it also balancing it with humor enough, is that you know there's a lot of people that deal with this. Even me. I mean, the 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 like I could totally resonate with the day you threw away your scale. I mean, I get it. I get that part of it, and I get you know I also get the part of of dealing with parents who are pathologically self centered. <laughs> the thing that I think most people don't get, but and I think is the centerpiece, is that. You know, you were clearly can identify how you became uh, an extension of of your mother's expectations and and also uh, dreams mm-hmm. that she couldn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, by by you know becoming this uh, star mm-hmm. of a show. So that's a little different, but I think everybody who deals with somebody like that emotionally has some part of that. Yeah, that's that's definitely the element that I hear that I'm approached about most often mm. is, oh, I have a parent. I thank you for saying what I c- couldn't. Um, this is something I 
I relate with so much or how do I set a boundary with a parent? It's, it really seems, I mean, it's, it's hands down the thing that people approach me about most about the book. I mean, the benefit of my parents is that they were so selfish, they didn't, you know, wire me to give unconditional affection. Mm. <laughs> so there's a distance there. Hmm. Like, I don't look to them for parent stuff ever. Hmm. So I don't I don't have that thing where I need them. Like, yeah. I, I usually I say I, they're just these... Uh, these people I grew up with that had problems mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a pub, but I didn't, I, you know, my codependency, it, it, you know, another thing the book made me think about was that, you know, very young, uh, be, you know, before my recollection, I think my mother kind of, you know, treated me as a peer because my father was so absent, mm-hmm. but I'm talking like four or five, you know, where I don't have memories, yeah. Yeah. but it goes in, right? Oh my God. It stays, it sticks. Yeah. Are your parents both still living? Yeah. Oh my God. How do you navigate? How do you? How often do you? Oh, I, I don't like. A, look, I, I I've sort of processed most of it, and I can. You know, I'm old enough, and they're old enough to where I don't I don't have active resentment, and and also because of my success, they they don't really have that kind of uh, passive aggressive weapon, hmm. you know, where they're like, you know, they're diminishing mm-hmm. because I didn't live up to some expectation because I've transcended <laughs> them both. Yeah. And now my dad's losing his mind, which is sort of a gift. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but in a way, you know, it's it's all it's all sort of humbling. I, I think that, you know, whatever I went through and whatever my feelings were, they, they I, I don't think I'm suppressing them as much as they've hmm. kind of dissipated with you know the humbling of age. That's amazing. I um, I sometimes wonder about that. What my what how different my process would have been had my mom survived, and where would our relationship be now? You know, would doesn't I doesn't sound not... like you would have been able to get better. Yeah, I think I I don't I don't think so. Or I think if I if I had, I would just not speak to her. I don't think I I don't That's think right. there's a world in which she's in my world so strongly, and I got better. I don't, yeah. I don't think that was possible. No, no. I had to t- fuck my dad off for like a couple of years. You just no, no talking. Yeah. yeah just like, uh, you know, we had like amazing mm-hmm. fights, and mm-hmm. I, you know, and I kind of pushed him, you know, uh, m- mentally to the wall. And I saw that, you know, there, there wasn't much in there, but, you know, anger and, you know, like, because narcissists, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they don't, they're kind of incapable of self-reflection. Yes. Yeah. They can't do it. They won't do it. They yeah. refuse. Yeah, and if you get them to the point where they have to, they'll just tell you to fuck off. They flee. Did um, did you feel guilt in after your decision, or was was it to the point where you were just so kind of ready to not talk to them? That you Look, didn't? I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't like. I, I don't know if I feel guilty. Like I wrote a book that was pretty revealing. Yeah. About his manic depression and stuff. Yeah. But he was all pissed off, and you know, he was like, you know, and then I started hearing from his side of the family, like we're all disappointed. I'm like, okay. I don't give a shit. And Good. Then I, but I didn't. I love it. And I called him up, and I'm like, well, what do you want, money? <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, maybe. And I'm like, well, how much are you thinking? And he's like, $100,000. I'm like, I'll give you five. <laughs> Did he take it? I think so. I just sent it. I mean, I, the check was cash. But look, I see him now, and I check in with both of them, and I'm in touch with them. How I'm did like, that happen? So then you went from that to, to then seeing him. How? Oh, after those two years? It yeah. was a long time ago. Okay. But the, the truth is, is that I've always, they've always been a little um, intimidated by me. Like, there was never a point, you know, past a certain age because mm-hmm. of how I excelled and what I was interested in where they weren't kind of in, impressed with me. Like, I think what happens, and, and, I, and I don't think it happened for you, is that 
when you have these kind of parents, like you are unable to sort, they don't release you to to develop a sense of self. Yes, yes, and yes. and so you're kind of stuck with this. So I that happened to me, and, and I was kind of nebulous. But you know, they didn't step in to to use me for long enough, and I eventually mm-hmm. ha- got enough, you know, go fuck yourself in me mm-hmm. to to sort of like you know slowly over decades kind of land on some sort of sense of self. It's amazing. It's, it's it's amazing. I feel like there I feel like family and loyalty to family is such a problem. Yeah. Um I love that you're mentioning this. It's just something I've been thinking about a lot recently uh-huh. with 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 family and boundaries and and how much to give yeah. when you feel like oh god, I'm just giving endlessly and they're just taking and yeah. I'm not getting anything in return. I'll get off the phone call with them and sob yeah. and feel like I'm it's such an empty there's no real connection here, but I guess I should keep staying in touch with them because they're my family. Like these questions uh, are are ones that I've been thinking about a lot with various family members. Well, yeah, well you're in a different position. Like, you know, like now Look, I, I, I don't I don't have that same loyalty. I just don't have it. I think that is so great. Yeah, I, I mean I don't I, I don't have kids. Yeah. And uh, you know, and me and my brother are kind of screwed up the same way with mm-hmm. boundaries and, you know, low self esteem mm-hmm. and eating disorders and trouble with, you know, intimacy and you know sure. and, and you know, you get old and, and, and things get a little easier. But towards the end of the book, when you start, you know, after your mother dies and you gotta deal with your grandmother I'm like, well, where's that book? Because that's the source of the problem. You know what's funny? I, I th- I'm glad we're going here. I don't have contact with my grandma. She's alive. She's she's alive now. She's in a retirement home in yeah. Kentucky. And I I think I, I I mentioned the book that I I blocked her from my phone. I have not unblocked her since then. I don't talk to her. I avoid any family gathering where she is. I can't do it. I've tried to have I've tried countless times to have a real conversation with her to get anywhere real. She can't do it, and it's exhausting for me to try to pull something out of somebody that they're not capable of giving. So I eventually just said, okay, I'm not going anywhere near that. Um, she has a tumor. Like she's gonna die soon, and that's. Okay, for me, you know, I'm, I, I don't. That does not change a part of my heart. Heart strings, or heart strings, kind of got tugged when she got the tumor. Thinking, yeah. okay, maybe I should go. Maybe I should go visit her. Maybe I should. Go. No, yeah. I know that road. I know that path. I know what that's led to. I know the deep um, confusion that it leaves me with, and the frustration, and the resentment, and the pain, and the anger. And so, I choose to not have contact with her. And I think it's the best decision in my life. One yeah, of them. well, she made the monster. She did. She a hundred percent did. And and. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you know I saw that I'm like oh my god how's this just happening at the end of the book and she's not gonna go into this this is the source of the problem this thing <laughs> what I think <laughs> what it's just so just thinking of her little cause she's so cute yeah but she's so maniacal she's like four nine, and she has just really like a little poofy permed hair and she's yeah. got like a button nose she's pressure little tiny feet but she's just chaos like everywhere she goes it's chaos it's hysterical it's oh why like always everything's dramatic and heightened and nothing's ever good enough and she's uh she's a histrionic exhausting person right and i think that like as people listen to this you know to not to to sort of frame it properly in that you know it I think to some people this sort of sounds insensitive when you talk about family like this, but the truth is that if if you're wired to surrender your sense of self to accommodate these people that are so pathologically needy and 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 in that neediness, it's abusive mm. that you know you're left with no choice but to 
either sacrifice yourself and whatever that means or, or, or find the space for yourself to exist and hold hard boundaries. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for framing it that way. I, I feel like there's such a difference between difficult, annoying, pesky family, which we all right. know. And, and mentally <laughs> ill people yes. that are destructive yes. and hurtful. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that that differentiation is not made enough because a lot of people just feel like they, they, they just get sucked into it. Yes. And you just see themselves, they've completely either are are crippled emotionally or 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 mentally ill themselves or or can, you know it's very hard to to maintain those boundaries but it's Im- important for your own sanity and to also stop the the you know passing it down yes yeah i i saw that struggle in my my brother who actually lived with my grandma after my, after our mom died um he lived with my grandma and grandpa my grandpa died a couple years ago and my grandma and he were just the two of them together constantly yeah. very codependent very unhealthy and i saw what it did to him i saw how it held him back i saw how agonizing it was for him and then when my grandma uh, went to the retirement home he's like a new person it's like he's finally finding a sense of self and it's it's incredibly heartening and uh, compelling uh, to see it's yeah. like he's He's coming into his own finally. He's 34 years old. He's never had his own, whatever, you know, he's never had a sense of, of, yeah. of self because of the, the engulfing and meshing of yeah. people around him. Yeah, that, 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 those sort of like borderline manipulative uh, kind of, I mean, the, right from the beginning of the book, I mean, we should talk about it. I mean, what are your first memories of her, your mother? I. Uh, Honestly, like her being sick, her being in in hospitals. That's right, because she had the cancer early on. Yeah, so she had it when I was two, and um, she was really in and out of hospitals. It was stage four then, so they didn't think she was going to make it. And she had chemotherapy, radiation, bone marrow transplant, mastectomy, everything. And so I remember, um, I'd say, you know, a very early memory was her giving me a 101 Dalmatians purse. Yeah. um, But she had, like, fake clip-on bangs in and then a— like a, a hospital mask because she was so her immune system was so weakened she couldn't yeah you know we we all had to wear the hospital mask she had to wear the hospital mask and it just felt um, life felt very serious you know it felt so everything felt serious I of course didn't know what was going on I'm too but it like it felt um, that sterile feeling of a hospital felt yeah. life and death yeah from those are my first my earliest memories are okay this is serious this yeah. is this is bad this right. doesn't feel good. So from that early age, you it was that, you know, you knew that she was in trouble, but mm-hmm. she was your mother. But I guess what you didn't know is that she would, you know, survive that and and use that as the foundation for, you know, constantly draining everyone around them <laughs> for for sympathy, pity in order to have control. And 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 on top of that, she had her own mental illness. Yes, that's very well put. That is exactly what happened. And I I, I of course did not realize that um, that she was using her cancer. She was exploiting her cancer for for attention, for love. Uh, that she loved to be a martyr. I didn't know any of these things, so I just thought, oh, poor mom, constantly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's only after plenty of time in therapy and, uh, uh, you know, life experiences that I've realized, oh, God, that was really <laughs> gross, gnarly uh, uh, use uh, using of her cancer. And And when did you, like, when does it start to, like, the, the idea that she wanted you to be an actress? I mean, you which was obviously her, her dream, but it, it's a lot of people's dreams. Sure. But you're out here, 
you know, <laughs> right you're near L.A., and she sees it as a real possibility. Yeah. And it's really the story of what everybody kind of knows those stories of these mothers who are sort of, you know, pimping out their kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, to 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 try to not. I, I don't think it was all about money for her at the beginning. Was it? Do you feel? I don't think so. I think I think it was really her way of fine. I, I don't think she had a sense of self. You know, I think she was looking to looking desperately, frantically pawing, clawing for an identity, whether it was in cancer, in Mormonism, in her kids, me specifically or primarily. And then I think with acting, it was I think it was an attempt for her to feel success, for her to feel. Yeah. I, th- I think she did see it as a way out. Yeah, I, I do think I think she would have said, I just want you to have a better life than I had. But I think, you know, she wanted a better life than she had. But they never moved out of the house. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, that house is like that. That's like a, a fucking nightmare. Yeah, I know. It was very bizarre because we were still in the house for the first like couple years of the show. And it was getting quite like it got pretty big pretty fast. You know, iCarly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah iCarly. And um, honestly, I have a hard time saying the name of the show. <laughs> I fucking I hated being on it so much, and I find it so I just um, so I usually say that show. But uh, when I was when I was doing the show, uh, it got pretty successful pretty quickly, and so it'd be very weird for to be I'd be leaving for work and to be recognized by people, and it's like we live in this little shack, this little rundown, ugly. But you shack can't even have over, people over. Can't I would, have people over. Yeah, because it's like you you and your brothers are sleeping on mats on the floor mm-hmm. because the bedrooms are too filled with garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, organized garbage, kind I mean, of? Yes. Yeah, uh, she would have said organized garbage. Anyone else would say otherwise. But, I mean, the kitchen, you 50% of the time you'd open a, a milk and it'd be just, you know, you can't yeah. shake it out. It'd be so so old. Yeah. Uh, worms in sacks of Bisquick, you yeah. know, just like just old everything all the time even down to down to the kitchen but she saved everything saved it's a real everything a real hoarder she's yes. like really had that thing yeah saved everything and then funny enough she had a, bo- a stack of books on OCD hoarding on yeah. how to like get over hoarding which yeah. is telling but then she hoarded those she <laughs> And your dad's like sleeping under a box or something. Or? <laughs> He's sleeping like in a sl- in in like the 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 back bedroom. There was like a sliver of bed, so the bed had tons of shit on it. There was just enough space, literally, for his body to kind of lay there, and that's where he would go unless he was kicked out of the house, which also happened. I mean, At multiple times a week. Yeah, yeah. Through paranoia and weird expectations, mm-hmm, and- mm-hmm. him getting getting home any amount late, um, you know, smelling somewhat different than she would expect, like. Everything had a, a big story and, you know. But the weird thing is, is like you really portray him and I, I guess accurately as somebody who is fairly detached from the responsibilities of being a father. But I just, you know, you read the book and I'm like, like your mom must have had a real fucking, sorry, a real brain meld on everybody because why that guy hang around? Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't understand that. I've tried to ask him outright in any Way, shape, and form I can. I is he don't still understand around? that. He is I actually don't uh, speak with him either. I have no communication with my dad or my grandma, uh-huh. or I mean, I guess who I thought was my dad. Yeah, I found out later after my mom died that he was not actually my dad, and yeah, he just seemed he seemed so detached. I've said how you know she had the seven year affair and three of four kids with a different man. Like how? Why did you stay? But but so you guys were all born, or or all, I mean, they were together when you were born. I, I've, I've met up with um, my actual biological father a few times, and he's tried to kind of 
give me some answers. Some, a timeline? Some, <laughs> some clarity. But it seemed like he was maybe even unclear if I was his. So I took a 23 in me to, to double check, and I am. Um, there are other relatives on his side who have taken it and, yeah. and him and everything. And so that's that's for sure Dustin Scotty and me are, are his children. So did your mom tell you, the dad you grew up with, that you were his? I don't know. I, I don't. It doesn't sound like she did. Like these answers are all answers that I tried exhaustive, exhaustively to uncover years after she died, and I was not not getting any closure at all. It was it was more frustrating to chase because I was not getting answers. I, I just think this book, you know, in terms of like addressing the spectrum of insidious emotional abuse and and trauma, is is really what the book is about. You know, like by the time the the dad part is revealed, you're kind of hoping that's where the turnaround's going to be. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was too in real time. <laughs> I thought, well, like, nothing else can happen. And then the you're worst like, there's, there's more. And then, <laughs> and then your grandmother is all you got, and she's a monster. But uh... <laughs> but that, but all that stuff, uh, you know, I, I feel like we should sort of tell the story a little bit in that because of your your mother basically what happened is that you know she took over your life and became one of those moms that ran you around auditions became involved in you know how the business works who your management was but also you know fighting for you to get the opportunities you got and believing in you i guess to a certain degree uh or or was just like gonna run you into the ground Mm -hmm. But you delivered somehow, right? I I, I delivered, I, I would say, very well as a kid, especially considering the amount of, of pressure I was under. You know, it was, I, yeah, no part of me enjoyed going on auditions. No part of me was excited. I was a nervous wreck. I'd pee 15 times. You know, I'd write my name in on the sign-in sheet, and then I'd cross it out because I'd be so nervous. I'd think I just got, I just need more time to prepare, more time to prepare. So I'd write, I'd cross it out, and then I'd rewrite my name at the bottom of the list over and over again. Um, and, oh yeah, and then you that, but, but and, and also she, the, all that time spent running lines with your mother taking your mother's direction, you know, terrible I, direction to yeah, just just god awful. Yeah. yeah, you know, always it, 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 it got to a point where I was hearing so often from casting directors to do it basically the opposite way that my mom had directed me to do it that yeah. I I do I'd say okay, but I knew it would offend my mom if I didn't do it the way she wanted, so I'd do it for her the way she wanted when I was practicing with her, and then I'd go do it a different way for the casting directors, thinking they probably want something different. It felt like just constantly guessing who who that I'm currently with, what do they want, and how do I do the thing the way that they want it. Yeah. Like never, ever asking what is the thing that I want and how would I do that. That was not even on my radar in this in the slightest. Because she had put this ambition in you. Yeah. It, it, it was really – I really believed that her needs and her wants came first. I felt bad for her. I felt sorry for her for the hard life she had. I couldn't believe all that she'd gone through. Yeah. And I wanted her to have her dreams. I wanted her to have what she wanted, whatever whatever that meant. And I also believed that I was the best chance of that happening. I, I felt like everybody on the, else in the house was kind of clueless, like wouldn't really understand when her mood switched or why. And I thought, well, I can read mom better than they can. So I'll just do the gymnastics for everyone and be exactly who she wants me to be and do exactly what she wants me to do to avoid the fucking chaos of who she is. Yeah. You were aware of that very young. I yeah I, I I felt instinctively anyway yeah instinctively I felt it was I felt she was my responsibility I felt her needs were my responsibility and priority and I felt I believed that I had the best chance of of delivering. But with, with but but what you didn't 
know at that time was the self-sacrifice involved. No, which I had is no idea. An entire sense of who you were. Yes, I had no idea that that's what I was giving up uh, genuinely until after she died. I had the, no clue. The other great thing about, that I loved in the book was the because uh, you guys were Mormons, but not all in. It seemed <laughs> not all in. Yeah. We were half half-hearted Mormons. But but when uh, what's it called in the Mormon religion where the angel talks to you or God talks to you or uh, like, the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost was talking to you? The Holy Ghost is a thing that you are told you're um, given when you're eight years old. Your eighth <laughs> birthday, you're baptized, yeah. and you get the gift of the Holy Ghost. So one day you can't hear the Holy Ghost, the next day you, you can. Get, and I like that the, the Holy Ghost was really just your OCD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that it was telling you to, you know, what, what was Touch it? doorknobs 15 times, <laughs> twirl around, repeat, you know, lines a certain way a certain amount of times, um, just very ritualistic behavior. Uh, and but, I really believe that was Holy Ghost. Yeah, I yeah. thought, he's helping me out. Yeah. He's, this guy's cool. He's telling me exactly what I need. I'm going to book the part. If I do this many things, I'm going to book the part and my family will be happy. <laughs> uh, but the family did get concerned at some point. One of them did. My Who grandpa were... did. My grandpa did. My grandfather. Because he saw you out in the yard. Yeah. I was doing some of my rituals and he, he approached my mom about it and said, like, look, I think I think something's going on here that we might need to look into. I think, Jeanette, there might be something wrong with her. My mom's like, there's nothing wrong with Jeanette. Yeah. My baby, my angel baby, there's nothing wrong with her. You know, yeah. She could never would refuse to see anything wrong with me or herself. Everybody else there could be problems with, but with her or me, yeah. the no problems to be had. Oh, so like you were her, like, you know, you were the, the you know, her her hope. Yes, yes. And uh, <laughs> and she protected you from judgment, but also insulated you from help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh? Man. Exactly. But that was, I thought, a pretty funny device, even though it was rooted in uh, horrific reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do you think so. Well, I mean, I guess everybody who hears voices thinks they're trying to help initially. <laughs> You'd have to, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift. How can this not be a gift, right? Some guidance, finally. Yeah. That's what I've been looking for. But but ultimately, when did you really start, you know, outside of, you know, have, doing this balancing act and, and, and not having a real sense of self, but, but knowing enough to know that whatever your mom was telling you to do was not quite correct because you, you learned that, you know, you could could placate her and then still do what she expected you to do with the acting but when did you when did you know as a young person not as somebody looking back that you, you there there was real problems uh i would say i had a, a slight hunch that i tried to push down when a friend from dance's mom approached my mom about anorexia which i didn't know what that right. was but it um a, a doctor had brought it up previously, and my mom had kind of said, oh, absolutely not. She doesn't have this problem. Meanwhile, she's counting my calories and portioning out my meals, and we're, like, teaming up together to Oh, that all that stuff. The together. repetition of all this behavior throughout the book is just crazy, these moments <laughs> where you're just sitting there eating, you know, steamed vegetables and yeah. and you, your pals. Yeah. 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 It really felt—I felt like, Mom's looking out for me. We're just—we're a team. Like, we're doing a hand jive. Just thrilled to, thrilled to thrilled that Mom's helping me. Yeah. Then I, I got some red flag of concern— um, after the, the, the mom from dance had brought it up. And then the real concern hit actually when I started getting um, recognized in public, when I started getting famous. And my mom, to me, that felt like when my mom started to realize, oh, we're different. Because now people are coming up to me. They're not asking mom for pictures. They're asking me for pictures. And a part of her was really... You know, she'd have me smile and pose and let's do three and why don't we do a silly face and why don't you – oh, be sure to sign autograph your autograph this certain way and she'd have me practice my autograph. So part of her seemed really enthralled and intrigued 
by the fame and ecstatic about it. Yeah. And then a part of her seemed she could turn on a dime and snap and then be so mad at me um, for the thing that she had wanted. And I think it was just because it maybe made her realize, oh, she didn't actually have that. It was actually— But, but also that you're a separate person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. I, th- I think that's when— You started to feel that, that it's not even tension. It's just— it, it must have just been felt like hurtful. I didn't know I was resentful of her at this point, but yeah. looking back, I I know it was resentment, and it, it was it was like eating me up. I was so confused at how mad I felt at my mom, but thinking like, how can I be mad at her? She's she's sacrificed so much, and you know she was sick, and I. So you blame yourself. So yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, it was it was resentment brewing intensely. So and all that stuff about like you know you you couldn't dance at an audition, so she made you take all those dance classes. It's just like. It was exhausting. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm still exhausted. <laughs> Truly, I've been. I've really been thinking recently about relaxing and what does that mean and what does that uh, look like. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me know how you do with that. I will. I. It's like, you know, with the. I had this chip on my shoulder after. Um, the success of my past for feeling like, well, that wasn't a thing that I wanted and that was a thing mom wanted and I, I was ashamed of the show and it's so corny and so bad and I just fucking hated it. And it went on forever. It went on forever. Like, end. Jesus Christ. I, it was so, I just... What was your character's name? Sam. Sam Puckett. Yeah. She'd sling a butter sock and yeah. uh, eat fried chicken. She, oh, her key, her, her trademark trait yeah. was that she loved eating, which was just so <laughs> fun. <laughs> like... Did you have a lot of spit bags? Yeah, they had they had spit buckets, but um, our producer loved to be like, "No, we have to see you eat it on uh, in the take." And I was like, "I don't really understand why." But, yeah. Um. So then I'd throw it up after as yeah. d- during my uh, bulimic years. But so there was the the show, and then there was the shame around the show, and this chip on my shoulder of wanting to prove myself and prove, you know, I wanted wanted desperately to prove that I'm that I'm. Honestly, that I'm talented, that I'm good, that I'm that I'm a good writer, that I'm funny. I wanted to prove these things. And then I feel like, you know, with the success of the book, I felt like, ah, I did it. So I should be good, right? I should be done proving myself. And yeah. that demon should go away. Uh, and it didn't and it hasn't. And it's still like I still feel the need to prove myself with the next thing, the next project, the next whatever it is. Mm. And uh, and I'm trying to explore that more recently yeah. and and challenge myself to relax and to not, not – have to prove myself anymore. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. It's yeah. so, I had to prove my prove my worth to my mom. You know, prove that I was worthy of love. That I I had to earn. I felt like I had to earn love, and I know that's what's driving this now. But even though I know that's what's driving it, it's I, I'm not past it. Right. Well, I mean, but you know, so I think somehow that could you could make that healthy. Tell me how. Well, I mean, you know, if there's things you want to do. Yeah. You you can you can view them as that, mm. <laughs> as mm-hmm. opposed to proving yourself. That's I mean, nice, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, you know, if, if there are things that you haven't done yet, the, I mean, I think the idea of proving yourself, if that's the drive, then it's very easy to to fall back into that pattern of being hard on yourself if yep. you're not doing it. Yep, totally. So, so like, totally. It, it seems to me that if like if you want to do something, that you have the freedom. To try it in a relative vacuum, yeah, and 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 see how it goes, as opposed to thinking you have to <laughs> succeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's nice, and I and that's all the time we have. Thanks so. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
But think about that until next week, and we'll talk about Great. it then. Great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so this, like, I wish I knew the scope of the show, because, you know, there's all these great bits about the billboards and about the fake smile that your mom made you learn, and... And then, you know, this never-ending success of the show and then the creator wanting a spinoff and then that happening. Oh, my God. And then the Ariana Grande stuff because I didn't even realize she was on the show. She was on the spinoff? Yeah, yeah, That was supposed to be your show? Yeah. And then, oh, then there's a whole sidebar that should be a whole other book is that the music career because you don't really follow through with that. That all of a sudden just stops. In the book, it's like, you know. That's how it was in real life, too. (laughs) It all of a sudden just stopped. You're on a tour bus. You're singing songs at malls. And it's like. That was that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that must have been awful. Uh, yeah, I was not a natural. Uh, I was not a natural. They had me work with a body movement coach. Uh. This is this guy worked with Rascal Flats. He'd tell me to kind of hold my arms out or to like lift my arm up at a certain point, and um, it was it all just felt very awkward and. For the dancing like it wasn't and singing, a fit. for for um, when I was doing music, just yeah. to go and do these shows at the malls, they had me work with a body movement coach because they said that I looked so uncomfortable. Were you was singing true. though? I was singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just that whole scene of like going into a mall, you know, and like in a food court, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It was wild. It was wild. And all and the then, kids knew you from the show. Yeah. So they were just like this. This is sort of where it starts because there's always this point with. You know, overbearing, mentally ill mothers or parents and celebrity kids where, you know, they're just working them like a racehorse. Yes. Yeah. Because it's a money machine. Yeah. And, you know, that the idea that, you know, it didn't even seem through most of the book leading up to the music thing that you even gave a shit about music. Yeah. Never. It was <laughs> it was literally the writer's strike. The first, that, the, the first, one, show, yeah. yeah, the old one um, that put our show on hiatus, and then my manager at the time represented Hillary Duff, who called my mom and was like, "You know what Hillary Duff does? Music. So yeah. you know what Jeanette should do? Music. Yeah." And they were like, "She can carry a tune, okay? So let's have her do that." Managers of you know, it, it's like the nature of the business, which I think you talk about pretty thoroughly. But you might, you know, in some ways, were diplomatic. <laughs> 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 For whatever reason, but <laughs> but but it's pretty awful. Yes, agreed. Y- y- yeah, you know, I Definitely. mean, I, I think I don't know if it was people pleasing or for legal reasons. You kind of, you know, the the stuff you did, you know, to to show them, to show the reader who they really are was was you know damning enough. But but it it do, it does feel like that the nature of exploitation was probably a lot worse. Uh, Yeah, I agree. You know, I was conscious of not making, not letting, I felt that that could easily um, undermine what I wanted the focus of the book to be about and what I felt was most important in the story. So, um, you know, candidly, there there were plenty more incidents that I could have explored that I, I chose not to because I did not want to make that that story yeah. usurp um, the story that I wanted the focus to be on. Right. They weren't. Were they able to even pull clickbait out of this book? They were. So they actually were a week before or a couple weeks before the book came out. And I, I was pretty upset about it and pretty scared about it. Um, and I thought, oh, this is this book is so much more to me than than a takedown on Nickelodeon or a I also don't talk about anything systemic. I'm not yeah. trying to change laws for child actors. I'm yeah. just sharing my personal story in a way that I hope is entertaining and in the best way that I know how. Um, but and, helpful. 
I hope so. I hope so. But so I was scared that that was going to be the narrative. And then I was so grateful. I called my manager. and I was like, oh, my God, this is what it's going to be. They're literally just going to be talking about fucking Nickelodeon more. Like, what a joke that all that. And I'm trying to get out of that. And then it's this still like, come on. You back. Right. They suck Uh Um, I just get slimed. And then he was like, (laughs) he goes, no, um, just wait till the book comes out. Yeah. Just wait till people actually read the book. And then the book did come out and the narrative very much changed. And I'm truly like very, very grateful for that. I was – it really would have – I was ready for that chip to be off my shoulder. Yeah. It's funny that you say, I just want to be entertaining. Well, you you, you went pretty deep for it. <laughs> There's probably easier ways to entertain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I just want people to have fun with this book. You know, maybe get the family around, read chapters out loud. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what the kind of book it is. I would, it's it's amazing that one of the blurbs isn't fun, fun, fun. <laughs> what a romp! What a what a fun, silly yeah, summer romp! Yeah, yeah, this is kooky. <laughs> but it, it evolves like I, I the way you sort of characterize bulimia. But like, and I'm bringing up these horrendous things about these. Uh, these issues that you had in family members, but you do balance it all very well with comedy. I was able to read thank the whole you. book, and it's, it's all very funny. I appreciate that, especially in coming a, from you. Oh, it, thank you. In an honest way. It's funny in an honest way, and in, you're aware of it. You know, I, I, I could feel, and you're a good writer, so I could feel that there was a balance trying to be met all the way through. And, and there was even points where I'm like, you know, you should have just left that fucker to sit in it. You know, <laughs> you know, to counter that with a joke, you know. Oh, I would, but, have, I would have liked your notes. I'm curious. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Got to make it better. <laughs> uh, no, I thought you were very, and I think it's your nature to be, you know, pathologically overly empathetic with, <laughs> with certain <laughs> people because of what you went through with your mom. Mm. You know, and I don't get anybody, you know, outside of the, I, I think you were, more prone to uh, sideline as opposed to throw people under the bus. Just why make the book about that? Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But like when the bulimia starts, I mean, it felt like the way you portrayed it was like this was a revelation. It was like one of the great breakthroughs in your life was figuring out how to make yourself vomit. That's how it felt. It was like, oh, my God, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. You're telling me I can eat and then also not gain weight and yeah. I can, can have control in this way? Amazing. It felt like... It it really did feel like a breakthrough. But I never read anything about bulimia that it becomes such – it's like an addiction, mm-hmm. the throwing up. Mm-hmm. Like you looked forward to it. You couldn't wait to do it. And if you couldn't do it, it would be like a real disaster. Yeah, yeah. It felt like complete chaos. I was always living in – you know, when can I throw up next or what am I going to eat next, which was then immediately followed by when can I throw up next. And it was – I'd romanticized food for so long with anorexia, but this was a whole new level. It was it was obsession because I had deprived myself of food for yeah. so long. So you could just eat like the worst. Oh, yeah. I, and just know you could get rid of it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean it got so bad. I mean one of your teeth, your fucking tooth fell out. Oh, my God. Yeah. I still have teeth issues from it. Like still to this day, yeah. it's just constantly – I see my dentist so often and it's it's like a long process. The of only just, reason I laugh is because you made it funny in the book. <laughs> Thanks. Because you've got to go to this audition after your tooth falls out or, or some – Yeah, band. press junket while Ariana Grande's song is playing in the back. It's like, focus on me. Focus. Do you know that yeah, song? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 I, just, I don't know, but I, I get it. And you <laughs> – yeah. and, and, but then there was that, that realization that, you know, because I do the same thing, when you resent people that do a totally different thing than you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes like, absolutely no sense. And like you were in complete sort of resentment and competition yeah. with her. Yeah. 
literally, yeah. it, it makes zero sense. And there you were, toothless, at a press junket with the song playing. With a dead mom and a schizophrenic boyfriend. Oh. Yep. Oh, and the booze. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I used to, I've been sober a long time, but I don't even think I drank as much as you drank. You made it sound <laughs> like you're just drinking bottles of tequila a day. It was so, it was, it was also, I mean, it was a means to avoid to, you know, cope with social anxiety, which I always had, um, I struggled with a lot, and I felt like, oh, I can finally show up and just, like, not be anxious. This is great. It felt – I felt like I was discovering all these helpful tools. And bulimia and alcoholism, it was like, cool, where – I is, got it. This, yeah. And got exercise, it right? Exactly. Great. How it, are you exercising, like, just obsessive. sweating fucking vodka? Yeah. It's – I'm sure I just reeked all the time. And you must have smelled terrible. I'm sure. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you drank a lot. I drank a ton. I drank a ton. And I also would use, you know, little like – I'm curious if you did this, but it's – like I, I was not a sloppy drunk. Yeah. You know, I could I could still be very coherent and, and you know, somewhat articulate. Yeah. And so I'd play games with myself like, oh, how much can I drink while while still just kind of maintaining – this how can I how can I have have a game an interaction with the alcohol where I have to still show up and be you know look as, appear as if I'm not but I are, actually have yeah does this make sense yeah 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 really sure it, it, well, well no it's, it's your acting chops there you go yeah, there you yeah, go like you're to... used to living too you could kind of balance yeah. this stuff out totally. You're lucky you didn't get into like you know horrendous sexual situations. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I mean, I it feel was that. like the the one part of the book where I'm like, oh, this doesn't, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> no, you just had a schizophrenic guy who could fuck many times. It seems many times, <laughs> many times. <laughs> but yeah. But were you guys all in denial about the, whether she would die or not right up till the end? Really? I think my I think my oldest brother was probably the least in denial at um, at the time, and I think I, I I can't speak for my other brothers, but I my best guess is that kind of me and my brothers Scott and Dustin were were more in denial. Uh-huh. I was certainly absolutely in denial because you you'd be living with this cancer thing forever, even though she didn't have it. The threat of it was always there, oh. and she had survived it once before, and she made you watch that videotape over and over again constantly. It was a video a VHS where she was singing us all songs like so that we'd remember yeah. her right um, after she died. after she died, and we'd rewatch it every Sunday like it was a fun <laughs> a fun little you know Disney movie or something. She'd pop it in with tears in her eyes and we'd watch her singing songs. Um, but no, there have been so many cancer scares that it really didn't feel like like it was possible that she would go. It just felt like, oh, it's going to be another one where it's this life-threatening, scary situation. Yeah. She's hospitalized, and then they say, oh, you know, shockingly, it defies our medical understanding. The amount of times that my mom defied a doctor's medical understanding is, like, beyond me. It's, I feel like people said that phrase so often. Uh, that Narcissists like are she's... hard to kill. <laughs> they really are. They really are. <laughs> just last forever. My dad's one, and he's got dementia. We're like, oh, he's just going to be this shell. He's never going to die. It's going to be just a... Sitting there confused, but he's going to outlive everybody. Yeah. How long has he had dementia? Pretty new. Okay. It's been a couple of years. Is it getting very quick, rapidly getting no. worse? Okay. I don't know. I should call him. We'll see if, <laughs> if, if I register. <laughs> I don't know. So was it the death of your mother that made you bottom out? I think I think it was the... I think it was even more so the um, the dad information, finding out that my dad wasn't my dad, because that then told me, you know, m- my mom didn't 
tell me. She never well, told me. That was me. like the, the final pieces. Like there was barely anything holding your sense of self together. And yeah. then that just took it all away. Yeah. And in a way, I think it really was that series of events. It was, it, it was finally, there was nothing, to, there was no one to do anything for anymore. It's not like there was, I just, I, I pushed everything away and said, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to just listen to myself and find my fucking self, find what that means to me, find what that is. And he got a um, good eating disorder therapist. Got an amazing eating disorder therapist. He, he was truly life-changing. Like, I, I just, I, he was so good. Didn't love your first therapist. No. She, she seemed to yeah. <laughs> be in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it was yeah. An interest, she was an interesting character. Would you change all those names? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> I'm sure she's still working. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> God bless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was so that was it. So you you were ready to ask for real help. Yeah, I was ready to ask for real help. I felt, you know, I think the information about my dad told me, okay, my mom, for my mom to have kept this from me, either, you know, she had plenty of time knowing that she was going to die to kind of tie up loose ends, you know, make amends, give closure, and she chose to not do that. Um, and I kept trying to find reasons for why she chose to not do that. That's that would kind of yeah. make her better than she was. Right. And then ultimately it was, I just realized, you know what, she didn't tell me regardless of the reasons. And either, any way that I try to do the math on this, I don't respect that she didn't tell me or my brothers that she just knew she was going to die and knew inevitably that this, either she thought the information wouldn't come out, which is, I don't respect that, or she thought it would and just thought, okay, well, it's not mine to deal with anymore, that everybody else will deal with it, which I also don't respect. So it was like, Or that she didn't care. Or that she didn't care. Like I think yeah. you know, that you know, there's a lot of ways to pathologize your mother's mental condition. But mm-hmm. if she was a narcissist, really, which she was, I had imagine among other issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really know. I'm not a psychotherapist, but I mean, she probably it, 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 she didn't it, it didn't register as important. Because yeah. she was incapable of empathy in a real way. Yeah, or I wonder if she just felt that she had everyone so manipulated that no one would possibly say a word. Yeah, but it, I don't think that's know? conscious. Yeah. But yeah. she did that. But that's the weird thing. Is she did have a pretty good mind fuck on everybody. Yeah, she really did. It's crazy. Because, look, by by the time me and my brother and my father, you, you know, he we all have eating problems. Like, my dad got him. And he's a grown-ass man. And yeah. all of a sudden, he was... You know, kind of like, you know, losing weight and stuff. I'm like, oh, my God. Yep. There's a – it's interesting. Yeah. I don't even know what that was about. I didn't think about it totally until I read the book about him, too. It sticks. Yeah, that stuff sticks. It's crazy. Um, but he was a grown-ass man. Yeah, that's – But anyway, the – so this this eating disorder guy sounds like it was really good. Like, in, you know, it was hard, but you were able to pull back from purging. Like, I'd never – see, like, I don't know – like that's the other thing about bulimia specifically the sort of the difficulty of trying not to do it oh yeah oh yeah um yeah i think something that was really helpful about this therapist was how um neutralizing he was i i i assumed that because i was working on because i was showing up and trying to work on this eating disorder and recovering from this eating disorder then i'd have to love my body and woo woo like it just felt like I, i couldn't imagine getting to that place 
um, where the eating disorder didn't run my life. And I think, you know, he made me realize things like, oh, you don't have to love your body to not have an eating disorder, which sounds so simple. But I don't think I realized that there was a middle ground, that there was another option. I thought it was either complete body positivity and love or chaos and self-destruction at all times. Um, and just uh, he helped me yeah, re- recognize so many of my patterns, so many of my triggers around what would make me purge and why, binge and purge and why. Um, he helped interrupt that cycle, and it just—I mean, every everything that he said was was in some way helpful. Yeah, that was great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, there's so many episodes in the book where, like, you, there, the the fact that you stayed loyal to your mother, you know, throughout a lot of this, you know, as a young adult, but like that whole thing when you snuck away on that trip with the boyfriend, mm-hmm. and paparazzi took pictures and she saw them. Yeah, her reaction to that was heinous. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, yeah, she 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 could be very abusive in the way that she emailed me after that um, incident that was, you know, calling me a slut, a floozy. Um, a floozy. Uh, uh, yeah. Classic. <laughs> of course. Um, and, you know, sometimes after she died, I would get I would get sad and I'd go back into the old email account yeah. um, to try to, to read email exchanges with her. And 100 percent of the time. I'd wind up in tears and I'd just close my laptop and I couldn't read anymore because they were all abusive. They were all they were all so cruel. And you couldn't look at them that way in the time. You uh, just thought no. you had it coming. Yeah, exactly. A- anytime that I saw it, I, f- I felt like, well, but she's coming from a good place, but she means, well, she's just trying to make me a good girl. I'm not a good girl. Oh, God, I am these things. I need to be better for mom. I need to be better for mom. It was always so anxious and so desperate to please her. And then after her death, yeah, I was able to read them as I'd, I'd go into them to try to, to find some message of positivity or some message of... Uh, some confirmation that we were what I thought we were, and yeah. I never got it. You Ugh. know, I, I reading them back, it was just, oh God, this was really, this was pretty dark. Yeah. Um, basically, one hundred percent of the time. <laughs> it's amazing you got out of the mind zap. I think so. I, yeah. I do think so. Yeah, I can't believe it sometimes. And also the fact that you really kind of had to stop acting. Yeah. Because you don't ever think you did it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um. It really threw threw me quitting acting because I felt like, um, you know, I had deliberated, okay, am I going to am I gonna quit? Am I not going to quit? Am I going to quit I'm gonna, for months? And then finally I do. And it's just quiet after that. You know, it's just oh, yeah. nobody nobody you begs you to come back. Or to go, yeah, yeah. It's just done. And There's I some felt good, like, good, good like show business stuff around the calls with the the, the conference <laughs> calls with all the uh, all the people. You know those kinds of calls. Yeah, I do. I I, well, I never achieved the level of fame you did, but 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 I thought it was it all made sense. How yeah. how do you feel about uh, the entertainment industry as a whole? I don't think it exists the same way it did for most people, like it did with you. I think totally. there, it's dramatically changed since you were. A celebrity and, and and a part of a series, but maybe not. Yeah. But for me, like you know, I, I, somehow or another, I persevered on my own terms, and I, you know, I don't think I had representation other than you know managers asking agents for favors. Yep. Uh, for most of my career, and now like because I've my 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 success was all built around this yeah. and around, but I was ready for whatever came. Mm. So my relationship with it is different, but sometimes I'm thinking like, you know, I was just at a party at John Mulaney's birthday party with the, you know, with, you know, pretty young 
But I, 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 for some reason, I thought we were all the same age for a while, but we weren't. And, and I'm old. And these guys are like 20 years younger than me, but they're talking about their agents and their lawyers. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. wow, maybe I haven't put enough thought into this business. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should be more aware of what my lawyer can do. But, uh, but I think that's the nature of talent in general. But I, yeah. So my, my experience was not at the level you were at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. you were because, like, when you're making other people a lot of money, then everybody's all in, and they just want to keep that machine going. Yep, it is a machine. I've never had that uh, that uh, that problem. You know, like, if I stopped doing anything, no one's livelihood was going to be compromised, <laughs> but mine. That's cool. I, I I I feel like that allows for much better decisions, to, much more pure decisions to be made. Well, all that. Well, well, my. What has to shift with with my experience yeah. is the you, you, you know the the weird sort of desperation and anger of not you know being where your peers are mm. and knowing that you're just as talented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to live with that. Like you know what the fuck you know. But I you know I you know I'm difficult and I, I'm not as a as a talent. But in what I do, you know, I'm pretty yeah. you know straightforward and a little confrontational and like I'm not. Everyone's idea of a fun night out. Is is there any piece of you that still has that narrative in you of the whatever, however you worded it with the peers, um, less than the peers? Or sure. Oh, yeah. You yeah. still feel like you have that now? Yeah, but I have to, not unlike you had to sort of compartmentalize, yeah. you know, your experience with resentment around Ariana. I really have to figure out what it is I'm resenting because yeah. I, I think it's just it all comes from a a, a fundamental less than point of view of yourself sure sure so so a lot of times when that happens like you know like i know i don't want to play arenas i know I, I, it's not really my bad yeah yeah and there are some roles that you know, are not right for me yeah and there are some people that are more popular because their head's a different shape or they sure. speak in a more general way to <laughs> a bigger audience and you know i can see all those things yeah and and then it just comes down to like well do you want to do more of that? Was that ever your goal? And I'm like, right. I don't think so. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. doesn't sound like it. I'm, yeah, I was curious what what is the goal or what is the are you are you happy doing what you're doing now or is there is there something that you've got a target on where you're like that would be that would be the that would make me happy that would be the no no I I don't know if I think in terms of happiness and yeah. ultimately like there are things I've wanted to do and that you know that I was jealous of in the past but I you know I've gotten to do them all yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, not that many people gave a shit, but I did get to do them in sure. a way. Sure, And I And I'm not sure what I really expect because my producer is always like, I don't know if you have a, the correct way of seeing how other people see you. Right, right. You know, like, right. you know, I'm not Ray Romano. I didn't have this sitcom and I'm not, I don't have $200 million in the bank. <laughs> but I had my little sitcom on IFC and it was a yeah. reasonable and honest representation of me. Yeah. But, but, but again, it's, re- it's really sort of re- realizing that most of my struggle as a performer was really about what you had to do after you became one. Like, I think mm. because of whatever I went through as a kid, I was really just trying to have a place for myself, to own myself. Yeah. So it yeah. was always sort of like, I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to do this. But I wanted to act. I wanted to do these other things. But but I think if I'm honest about it, I don't know that I even got into comedy to entertain people. Sure. I think I got into comedy to to have my point of view heard. Yes. And to be seen. So that's so. I have so much respect for you to say that. I feel like I feel like that's so such the case for so many people in whatever they're doing, and nobody. 
owns that. Yeah. I feel like it's really rare to own it. Oh. Well, yeah, I have to. Or, so cool. Or, or how am I not going to own it? Then I'll just, like, be consumed with jealousy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Totally. But, no, I, I'm I'm okay. I, I mean, I do. But the, but the thing is, is, like, I'm compulsive. I... You know, I'm, I work all the time. You know, I'm, I'm constantly generating new material. I'm yep. talking to people all the time. It, it's like a very full life uh, emotionally and creatively. It's just not judged in the same way that, you know, I'm not making anybody a fortune. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not playing in that game. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the game right below that, which yeah. is fine. You okay. Know, I can live my life. I agree with your producer, I guess. Yeah, I, I even, you know, coming in or whatever my perception is, whatever my idea is of you of your success is, is it, I feel like different from how you're um, representing it. But I also understand that what you're talking about internally just from my personal experience. Because there is part of me that's like, I'm for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is anyone missing this? Yes. I'm, I'm family <laughs> entertainment. But I also know that I'm not, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I think that I, I had a big realization of that recently. Hmm. Do you think you there's a, a world in which you feel like you you are the for everybody right thing, and you go, I hate being for everybody. Why am I for everybody? I'm fucking cooler than that. Well, I used to I'm do a joke about that. If really? everybody likes you, what kind of asshole are you? Yeah. And like, yeah, no, no. I, I I'm aware of all this. <laughs> sure, stuff. sure. I, no, I, I know. And I, there's no way I can be any different because I've fought so hard and long just to be me. Sure. So there's sure. That, I can't. You know. Yes. And, and, yeah. Right? And there's some part of me like I know that that I'm a little different than. The guy on stage, sure. and maybe I'm a little different than the guy in these mics, but not much. Mm-hmm. There's just more time. I mm-hmm. mean, and I don't think most of my day would be that interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so you quit acting? Yes, yeah, and, and and doubted the decision. I felt like once I I had this this thought that okay, once I make the decision, either way, I'm either gonna st- stay in it because. You know, my grandparents wanted me to stay in it, and they'd say, "But you, you, do you know how difficult it is to to support yourself off of this career? And this is what everybody wants. Every, no, nobody that I knew, uh, friends or family, nobody in my close circle supported the decision. You know, everybody was saying it was it would be the worst mistake of my life, and I'd regret it, and it'd be terrible. And being that I had always trusted other people's opinions over my own, it was I, I, I didn't know how to kind of come to terms with the fact that I really did not want to do it anymore. It really. Um, I think it was also very important for my eating disorder recovery to not be doing it. I think I really needed to step away from all that it was for me up to that point and the baggage that it carried. I just needed a fresh start and to kind of define myself away from it. But it was really scary. I felt like making the decision would then just – it would wash away and I'd, and I'd have clarity once I made the decision. That did not happen. I made the decision to quit and then I doubted that decision and then I felt like, oh, I shouldn't have. What was I thinking? They were right that I'd regret it. But then I do you were also it. their meal ticket. Yeah, true, true. I mean, yeah, how does that not, not factor into it? Um, but then with enough time away, I started realizing how much healthier I was getting, how much more confident, genuinely genuinely confident I was becoming in myself, um, how I was able to, you know, it sounds so silly, but like even what I would wear, you know, even what I would wear was coming from a different place because it's not how to please the cast director, how to dress like the role, how to dress like what mom wants me to dress. It was, I literally go, what do I want to wear? And something like that. You know, if I would have had to answer that question six months beforehand, it would have sent me to a tailspin. I would have had no idea how to answer what the fuck I want to wear. What do I like? And to start being able to answer that little by little and other questions of what my preferences are, what taste, what is my taste, what do I like, what do I enjoy, who do I like? It was really transformative and and really um, the shifts started happening pretty quickly um, after the first, yeah, there were a couple months of, of deep confusion and like a regret. And then and then the shifts started happening pretty quickly. And did this book start as a show? Um, sort of, yeah. It was, it was a, I did it as a live show, um, 
in 2019, and then COVID hit, and then I did it again after COVID, and it kind of completely changed by then. And in the middle of COVID was when the the book deal kind of happened. And um, yeah, it's very. I kind of rethought it for the book because it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have worked if I just kind of transcribed whatever the one person no, show no, was. No, no, you got to expand on it. Yeah, yeah, it was totally different, and also the live show was like musical, so yeah, it had oh. it, it had changed a lot. Back into the music. <laughs> there huh? you go. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, see that? You're a singer after all. <laughs> no, I thought it was really uh, well-written and very funny. Thank you. That's so nice. I really put a lot of work into it. Yeah. I appreciate it. And you had a good editor? I had a really helpful editor. His name's Sean Manning. I, I um, sing his praises any chance I get. He's at Simon & Schuster. He's recently promoted to vice president. Oh, nice. Um, and he's he's amazing. He he knew exactly what I was trying to do from the initial proposal. Mm. And there was no—I feel like—I'm curious if you feel this way. A lot of times if I'm trying to do something creatively, I feel there uh, there's a lot of trying to pull the idea to be something that it's not, trying yeah. to pull the, the basic shape of a thing to be something that it's not. And then it's just a lot of uphill battles of trying to convince people that this way yeah. is right and that they're trying to convince you. And it just feels like— how is this ever going to become anything when it's just they want it to be this and I want it to be right. this? I did not have that experience at all. He knew exactly what it was I was trying to do and supported it fully from the get-go. And the relationship with him was amazing. We we just emailed back and forth for, for a year in the writing of the book, and he would put all his notes um, in the mar- – do all his margin notes and I'd explore them but it wasn't even like phone calls or, or zooms or anything yeah. it was just all all um, in writing and I loved it that way it was great yeah that's great I mean yeah I and good editors are important especially Very important. when you're writing so what are you doing now no um, pressure right I'm doing I'm actually working on a, on my first novel oh good and I've really enjoyed that um, it was it was a, a pain in the ass at first trying to find it and figure out what it was and yeah. then I I Found it, and that feels now very. Um, I'm excited about it, and I'm working on um, the, the, this podcast. It's called Hard Feelings. It's called Hard Feelings. Um, but now, do you go? It would seem that you could have a, a, a side hustle in speaking. I, I do do. I do uh, some speaking. I did like a college tour after the book. I did a. I think I did like a 35 date kind of college tour, and that was really. How'd that go? Um, it was really tiring. It was really tiring. Yeah, yeah. And I also I I couldn't really write on the road. Uh-huh. I don't know if you experience this, but like it feels weird to me. To, I can't like I have to be really in my particular little setup with my yeah. laptop and like just my coffee and just get it done. I couldn't I couldn't like open my laptop while on a plane and say anything worthwhile. I couldn't like I can't do it on command in an environment that's not one that I feel really comfortable in. So it, it didn't really get any writing done. I felt cranky. I felt cranky and tired the uh-huh. whole college tour, to be totally honest. And now is your podcast video? No, no video, oh. thank God. Yeah. I, that, I, I don't think I could do it that way. It's and, just audio. And you don't feel like you, to get into the world of influencing? I'd rather not. Yeah. I, I try. I actually had somebody help me out. I, I, I hired somebody to help me out with social media for a couple weeks because I um, am so bad at it. Yeah. That's really not my not my thing, but um, but then I it didn't work out because I felt like well even though I'm bad at it I'd rather it be in my voice and it sound like me and feel like me yeah. or whatever that is yeah. worth, um, and so I I stopped working with her. She was lovely and great at what she did, but it just not your bag. Yeah, so I still don't I don't know how to crop a photo. Like I posted a photo today that's like horribly cropped because I can't fucking figure out how to do it post it accurately on Instagram, but yeah. it's. At least in my voice, and that matters to me. Yeah, but yeah, that's important. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I, I don't think you should underestimate how how what a uh, 
a service you're doing for people with these struggles. Because I think that, you know, these kind of books, you know, whatever, you know, market aside is that, you know, people who find these books, uh, a book like this, um, because it's so broad in just the number of issues you had to deal with because of the insanity you come from, there's a little something for all fucked up people in this book. Love it. <laughs> Get a little, little drugs, a little, you know, food <laughs> disorder, a little crazy mom stuff. Oh, yeah. Family stuff, hoarding, dealing with chaos, yep. expectation. Yeah. Crazy it's, dysfunction. It's, it's all in there, but but it, but I think, and this is my experience in, in some of the work that I do, that when you can, you know, live with it and also make it funny, it it gives people hope, which is hard to come by. Yeah, I th- yeah. I think I think so. I think I think there's a a way of you know of doing the book that didn't have any humor and that to me feels it actually feels more dishonest that way because I do think life's kind of funny at the same time it's well, really sad all the time well I mean humor is a, a coping mechanism yeah. so you know why take that out of it and just have this relentlessly horrible story brutal about <laughs> it would be unreadable it would I think. Be, it'd be rough it'd be real rough yeah uh, fun, well, fun, like fun. I said, like my my uh, girlfriend and her sister are are grateful, and just in terms of, you know, providing some voice to it, oh. it, it, it to those kind of issues. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's good. You did good. Thank you. And it's nice <laughs> talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you too. Wow. All right, there you go. Uh, the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died, is available everywhere. Her podcast, Hard Feelings with Jeanette McCurdy, launched this week. Subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, hang out for a minute. Hey, folks. This episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show? Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. All right, folks. So For full Marin subscribers, we have more producer cuts posted for you this week. These are things that didn't make it into recent episodes, including more from my talk with Gary Goldman. Compare and despair. Yeah, don't tell me about it. (laughs) But I I don't compare and despair. Now it's just, uh, you know, uh, some are are reasonable resentments based on my personal understanding of things. I get that. (laughs) No, I'm full of I'm full of (laughs) resentment. Yeah, still as as well. Just not so much still, but there are certain things where something will come up, and I, and I'll think to myself, "Yeah, I could have used that 15 years ago when I was broke." 
Oh yeah, yeah. And and now, but it, that's always the 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 case. It seems in show business, long after you need something, it it appears. To sign up for the full Marin and get bonus episodes twice a week, just go to the link in the episode description or go to wtfpod.com and click on WTF Plus. Next week, on Monday, we have comedian Dan Soder, and on Thursday, producer Lou Adler, who opened the Roxy Theater in Hollywood 50 years ago. Here's some slide. Here's some slide. Here's some slide guitar. For Lorraine. Always for Lorraine. Cat angels everywhere.